Okay, I am really excited to share God's word with you. Um, I want to open up to a text of scripture that highlights what we learned about at Hume Lake. So if you would please turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. To Isaiah chapter 6, we will dive into God's word. But before we dive into God's word, I wanted to share something with you guys. I didn't know this, but leaving to Hume Lake, um, I was a little bit frustrated. This has been an amazing year at Crosspoint. My first year here at Crosspoint has just been absolutely wonderful. It's been a tough year, to say the least. I didn't realize, but I was pretty frustrated leading up to camp. Um, planning the camp this year was probably the weirdest year that we've planned camp in. Um, three days before camp, we got some news that Alyssa and the kids were not able to come to camp. And so I was not overjoyed leaving, to be honest. Even though I was frustrated, I knew, however, the Lord was going to work. The Lord was going to work in the lives of the students. I knew that he would be faithful, and I knew that it would be a full week of ministry, of gospel ministry in the lives of our students. But to my surprise, what I did not know, and what I'm so grateful for, is that God is so faithful that he spoke to me and encouraged my heart like never before. I wasn't going to share this. I don't really like sharing personal stuff from the pulpit, but I was encouraged by, um, by our dear Cindy to, and to share this with you guys. So here it goes. The camp director, his name is Johnny. He is an awesome guy. And one of the first nights, he gave the statistic. Um, here's the statistic. It says this. 76% to 80% of people who come to know the Lord do so before the age of 18. Let me repeat that. 76 to 80% of people come to know the Lord before the age of 18. And here's the funny part. When Johnny said it, he just said it lighthearted. He just threw that comment out into the air. But what he didn't know is that it wrecked me. It's all I could think about for 24 hours. It festered in my spirit. That's all I could think about. Because I thought there is no way this statistic can be true. There's no way. There's no way that can be true. So before chapel, the next night, I absolutely embarrassed myself, didn't even introduce myself, and went up to him and said, Johnny, nice try, but I'm calling you out. That statistic cannot be true. And to his credit, he pulled out his phone and was able to provide the proof. And he seems to be the only person up there that has cell service. Let me explain this to you guys. If this statistic is in fact true, then youth ministry isn't a peripheral ministry that doesn't matter. What it is, it's, it's the battleground. It's a frontline ministry. I have always believed in youth ministry. I've always believed in it in a big way. I've given my entire adult life to it. I have passion to see young people follow Jesus. But somewhere in the midst of 10 plus years of doing youth ministry, I think in the thick of it, I just kind of forgotten about how important it is. And what this did was reignited this passion and purpose for youth ministry. 
It also helps me with one more thing. Since I've started ministry, I've felt this strong call to shepherd, to shepherd people. My job description is to be a shepherd, to care, to help, to teach people. And it's always been in a local church context. I'm just wired that way. I'm bent that way. That's how I operate. I've always preached the gospel in my sermons, uh, in counseling sessions, and one-on-one, but I've never been the person to go out to the community and preach the gospels and things like that. And this statistic also gave me an excitement to do the work of an evangelist. I am so excited, and for the first time in a long time, desiring to see God move in Huntington Beach and in our schools, in the lives of junior hires, and high schoolers in our community. I can't wait to partner with ministries like FCA or Living Waters and various ministries that are out in the community trying to tell people about the saving work of Jesus Christ. And I'm so encouraged and excited for our students to partner in doing that work. And so I have never been so excited about youth ministry than I have than I am today. And I'm so grateful that the Lord um, did that work in my heart, even though I was expecting to go pour out into the lives of these students. Now, with that being said, please turn with me again to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. And what we're going to be talking about is what we've talked about at camp, what we learned at camp. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood a seraphim. Each had six wings, with two that covered his face, with two that covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, I have touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that the scriptures show us who you are. We don't have to wonder who you are because the scriptures make clear that you, through the Bible, wanted to show us through your attributes who you are. And so as we look to you and your word, I pray that we would know the fullness of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in the book of Isaiah, we see Isaiah have a vision and he sees the Lord in this vision. And this portion of scripture, we see an attribute of God in display in a big and in a powerful way. We will come back to the scripture, 
But I think one of the most just amazing, loving, unimaginable things that the Lord has done is that we don't have to guess what he is like. We don't have to wonder what the Lord is like. Think about your favorite athlete or hero or someone you really look up to that you are not able to communicate with. You think, what are they like? And not the personified on TV what they're like, but what are they actually like? We have all had that curiosity before. But thank the Lord that we don't have to approach him that way. The scriptures have made it clear and tell us what God is like. We call this his attributes. Can you believe that God wants to make himself plainly and clearly known to his people? In a world of confusion, the God of ages speaks. Throughout the week of Hume, we got to look at, I think, one of the most important topics that we've had to look up in a while, and that's the attributes of God. Now, we've been going through a doctrine series here at the church um, where we are learning about these types of things. Now, here's the thing. We've been learning about this as a church, and our students went to camp and learned about that. It's almost as if the Lord wanted to solidify this message, where some would say a coincidence, I would say the Lord. Throughout the week of camp, we talked about five of God's attributes, and the thing our awesome speaker, Chris, said about these different attributes in the day just just were so wonderful for our students to hear. Now, I'm going to try to distill five different sermons, okay, into 15 minutes. Help me, God. So let's get to work. We are going to look at these three attributes, the holiness of God, the justice of God, the sovereignty of God. And I want to look at it a little bit, the word of God. One thing I want you to keep in mind as we're looking through these attributes is that God is all of these attributes all of the time. So when the Bible says that he is holy, he is holy all the time, but he's also sovereign and he's also sovereign all the time. It's not like you or I who can only hold one time. I can be absolutely loving, but I probably can't be absolutely merciful all at once. Only God can do that. But as you're thinking about this, I want you to think, layer on top of layer that the holiness of God, along with the justice of God, along with the sovereignty of God, are attributes of himself that do not conflict, but are held in unity and in perfection. So let's talk about the holiness of God. Here in Isaiah 6, Isaiah has an encounter with the Lord, and some of the creatures in heaven are crying out a certain song. They sing in verse... Three, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy. This is also paralleled with a scripture in Revelation. And it gives us a vision of what it'll be like in heaven. And do you remember the song that we'll be singing there? The song is holy, holy, holy. Now, I want you to notice this because this is one of God's attributes. That's one of the highest points, one of the pinnacles of his attributes. I want you to notice that it doesn't say mercy, mercy, mercy. It doesn't say grace, grace, grace. It doesn't say loving, loving, loving. No, the song that we will be singing forevermore is that God is holy, holy, holy. 
In the biblical languages, they didn't have a modern tool like we did to emphasize a point. Like I'm looking at my paper here, or when you receive an email, if we really wanted to emphasize a point, you would do so with highlighting something, with changing the font color, with underlining, with italicizing, with bolding. That's how you would change. That's how you would emphasize a point. But in the biblical languages, to emphasize a point, they would repeat it. So when something is repeated, like this, three times, it calls our attention. It's a moment for us to say, stop and read and understand what's going on. And what God is trying to emphasize about himself is that he is holy, holy, holy. Another word for holy is to be separate. Now we know that God is separate from us, right? God is separate from us in so many ways. He is self-existing. He is eternal. He is clean. He is righteous. He is pure. He is justice. He is wonderful. Now, one of the ways we are able to grasp his holiness is to see him in light of ourselves. The outcome of that should be like Isaiah. When you compare yourself to the holiness of God, your response can't be, man, I'm so good. Man, I'm so awesome. Did you see the week I had? No, look at Isaiah's response in light of the holiness of God, the separateness of God. Verse five, and I said, woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And so in Isaiah, for Isaiah, he had this experience of God is holy and I am not. We also see the justice of God. Now, church, can I say this shocked me that in 2021, we went to a Christian camp with everything that we're going through, that this camp was willing to speak about the justice and the wrath of God. I was at the edge of my seat dancing excited for what is going to happen here. Not because I'm a doom and gloom preacher, not because I'm excited for the Lord's judgment to come down on the world. I want people to be saved. I want people to hear the gospel. But I was excited because we don't talk about this. And the justice of God is part of completing the beauty and the attributes that we see in him. And without seeing his justice, we don't get a full picture of who God really is. In Exodus 34, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. Moses and God have this really awesome interaction where, God wants to, where Moses wants to see the glory of God. He wants him to show him his glory. And what God does is he reveals himself to Moses, but he actually describes what he is like. Remember when I said we don't have to wonder what God is like? He says here for the first time in scripture what he is like the very attributes that he describes himself as. So in Exodus 34, verse six, it says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sins. But look at this. Notice this with me, since we're talking about the judge. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Who will by no means 
clear the guilty. So God says he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, and thank the Lord he is like that. He is forgiving, but he is also the judge. Can you believe that we serve a God who at the same time can be a loving father, a loving father to each and every single one of us, but at the same time be a righteous judge? Think about the last attribute that we were talking about. God is holy. He cannot look at the sin of man because he is holy. Our sin is so deep, it separates us from God, the Bible says, and justice would be for him to give consequences to those sin. Now, what I want to share with you is this really awesome illustration. And this really awesome illustration about what sin does came from a ninth grader in our small group. So we were having a small group, and this ninth grader shared this illustration. Now, I got to bunk with the ninth, ninth grade cabin. They were awesome, they were energetic, and they were stanky. <laughs> and if you're a ninth grader and you're in the room, yeah. I love you, but anyways. <laughs> Um, here's what he said. Here's what he said about the effects of sin and what he says about God's judgment. He said, here's the thing. Think about sin as a chain. Even if one little, uh, one little link is broken, the whole chain is useless. That is what sin does to our lives. I mean, that came from a ninth grader church. When he said it, I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord in that moment. It was so awesome. Our speaker warned us of the wrath to come if we don't put our trust in Jesus Christ. And here's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that our sin separates us from God. And Romans 5 says that our sin has made us enemies of God. And God being just, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, loving, and just, sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take our punishment for sin. And the scripture says that if we would confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus was Lord and that he rose from the dead, we can be saved too. Church, did you know that 14 students, 12 junior hires, and two high schoolers heard this message and gave their lives to Jesus at Hume Lake? Amen. Yeah, amen. Here's the testimony of Hume Lake. Students heard the gospel. I've never seen our high school guys grow the way they did. Our high school girls went through the hardest situation ever, and they still grew in the Lord. And they were such rock stars about it. I'm so grateful for them. Our junior high guys grew so much and got to know one another. Our junior high girls, three of them, are going to be baptized at the end of the service. We're just so grateful for all that the Lord is doing in this church and specifically in the life of our high school and junior high. The last attribute I want to look at is the sovereignty of God. And this is one of my favorite doctrines in Scripture, the providence, the sovereignty of God. Now, this doctrine simply means that God is in control and overall. 
God is in control and overall. And we really see this throughout the scriptures, but in specific in the life of Job. Job was a man in the Bible who was upright, a man of God. He was blessed by all worldly measure. And Satan asked God if he could test his faith and listen to this conversation between God and Job. I'm going to read from a different translation in verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. It says this. Everything he has in everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Now this is a conversation between God and Satan. And God is holding the universe together and all that's in it, and at the same time equally holding on to the matters of Job's life and our life. Here in Job's life, God would allow Satan to attack Job, but only with God's sovereign permission. What a powerful God we serve, that God is overall. Now, can I be honest with you, church? This is the doctrine that was nearest and dearest to my heart this week. Here's what I mean by that. Three days before camp, um, Alyssa went to the doctor, my wife, who's eight months pregnant with our fourth boy. We're so excited. Please pray for me. She was going um, just to get the baby check, you know, before we go up to camp. And, and we got some pretty tough news. And the news, the news we got was I found out this word uh, that our baby was breached, which means the baby was upside down. Now, Alyssa if she would have went into labor at camp, would have required medical intervention. Now, here's the thing about Hume Lake, if you've never been there. It's an hour and a half drive to the closest hospital, or you can get airlifted off the, off the mountain to get to the nearest hospital. So we made the hard decision that she would not go with us. Not only that, three days into our trip, our girls' cabins get sent home. And I'm just sitting there like, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And then Chris talks about the sovereignty of God. And what a reminder it was that the Lord is in control. Amen? Whatever we are going through, whatever is going through in our lives, God is in control, just like we see throughout Scripture and just like we've seen in our life over and over Again, the last thing we talked about was the Word of God. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn there with me, you can. But in Matthew chapter 4, we see this really interesting story when Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Jesus was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And I shared this with the youth group this past Wednesday. But here's the importance of the word of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. One of the things we kept hearing while we were up at Hume Lake is that when you come down the mountain, 
It's easy for you to follow Jesus on the mountain. There's no cell service. There's nothing bothering you. You have intense periods where you get to hear the word. You're, you have to read the word in your small groups. Like w- There's just this blast of spirituality coming at them. And one of the things I kept telling us is that you can take that down the mountain. And the way you do it is to stay faithful in God's word. Now, Jesus here in this passage, in his moment of absolute weakness from fasting 40 days and 40 nights, in the moment in one of his possibly greatest temptation that he has ever faced, you know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't put on his divinity and say, hold on, I need to deal with this. I am weak in the flesh, so I need to deal with this as God in the flesh. I'm going to deal with this, and then turn, once I deal with it, I'm going to turn back off my godness, go back into humanity, and I'll be okay. That's, that's not what he did here. What he did was this. When Satan came attacking, he said, it is written, and he quotes scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he quotes a scripture that talks about reading and knowing the scriptures. We know and we take care of ourselves and we love to eat really good food. We sustain our very lives by eating very good food. We indulge in food, right? But what Jesus says is that you shouldn't just live on the food that physically sustains you. You should live on every word of the scriptures. It's a call for our students, but church, even for us to know the word, to read the word, to memorize the word, to meditate on the word. And this just, this just, I can't, this boggles my mind every time I think about it. If Jesus, the very author of the word, depended on the word in his time of need. Church, what makes us think that we wouldn't be able to withstand everything the devil brings at us without knowing and reading and taking in the word of God? We have to be people of the word. And so for our students, they learned about the importance of reading the word of God. I want to finish where I started in Isaiah chapter 6. And we are confronted through God's attributes with some responses. Now, here's the thing. When we learn about these doctrines, these teachings of the Bible, when we learn about them, they're not merely for us to know them intellectually. That's not what they're there for. They're there so that we can know God fully and by knowing God fully, respond to him. These are actually doctrines for our everyday life. Now, there are three things here that I see that this verse this in Isaiah teaches us. Number one is this, that when we're confronted with this attribute, the holiness of God, it causes us to worship. It causes us to worship. Look at what the angels did. Look at what the elders did in Re- Revelations. Their response to seeing God in his holiness was to sing about it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled of his glory. The second thing we see when we're confronted with this attribute of holiness is repentance. Is repentance. Look at, it's, it's, look at the humility that Isaiah now has after he has seen the Lord. And I said, woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell with unclean people. 
His response was repentance. And lastly, his response was mission. His response was mission. Look at verse 8 with me. After Isaiah is confronted with all this, this is what God asks. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Now, as you spend a lot of time in churches, you'll hear a lot of people quote this scripture. And they'll say things like, do we have any Isaiahs out there who are willing to go do a work for the Lord? And although I don't disagree with that, here's the actual context of this. In light of God's attribute, in light of God's holiness, this was Isaiah's response, is that I will go do the work of the Lord and what he has called us to do. And so church, my prayer is that we would celebrate everything that God is doing in the life of our church. He is doing so much in the life of our junior high ministry and our high school ministry and so much more. But also that we would all, since we are all learning these things together, that we would all be changed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that it would produce daily repentance of us in us, that we would worship the Lord daily in all that we act, say, and do, that we would be committed to the reading of Scripture, and that daily we would give our lives as a mission for the gospel, because he is holy, because he is good, because he's righteous, because our God is God. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. Father, we are grateful that we get to celebrate all that you're doing in the life of this church. Lord, you are still working in the lives of so many people. Your spirit is moving. You are here with us, Lord, and we are grateful for that. And so, Lord, for all of us, I pray that as we look to you and your holiness and your attributes, that you would continue to give us a heart of repentance, a heart of worship, a heart that seeks after you, Lord. Father, thank you that you make the gospel clear to us and that you are calling us to salvation, Lord. And so, Father, as we worship you with another song and as we get to witness three junior high girls get baptized we are just excited for all that you're doing here Lord so help today for us to be a day of celebration for all that you're doing we pray this in Jesus name Amen